Well, thanks for listening to a podcast, everybody. I'm Allison Morrow. This is the podcast that talks about the Southern Resident Killer Whales, J-Pod, K-Pod, and L-Pod. Today, we're lucky to have David Bain. He is one of the leading experts on underwater noise created by vessels and how it affects the behavior of the Southern Resident Killer Whales. This has become quite a talker because recently the governor's Southern Resident Killer Whale Task Force recommended a ban on whale watching of the Southern Resident Killer Whales and David Bain has actually said to the task force that he doesn't necessarily think it's going to do anything and in fact it may harm the whales. David, could you first take us back to when you started looking at the effects of vessel noise on the behavior of the southern resident killer whales and then sort of take us up to where that is today and how that's affected the way that these whale watching boats operate. Okay, uh, when I was doing uh, my own research on a boat back in 1982, um, I found that I felt that what we were doing was affecting the whales behavior and I wanted to look at whales natural behavior not how they were responding to boats. So uh, one of the people working with me, Sue Cruz, uh, started uh, observing the whales from shore so she could see what the whales were doing uh, when there were no boats around and what they were doing um, when they were being followed by boats. And when we analyzed the data, we found that uh, there was a difference and that led to um, initial guidelines that boats should stay uh, 100 yards away. And then uh, Rob Williams, who was another uh, person that I worked with, uh, spent time um, observing from shore, and uh, he also did some experimental work where uh, he instructed a boat to um, behave different ways around whales. So he had them follow whales uh, 100 yards away, like the guidelines at the time uh, suggested. And he also had them do a technique called leapfrogging, where uh, the boat would stop in the path of the whale, wait for the whale to swim by, and then go really fast to catch up with them. And we found that uh, that sort of whale watching had a much stronger effect on the whales than just following them um, alongside. And then um, Rob and I continued working together for many years, and we're still working together. Um, but we found that um, even when uh, whale-watching boats were abiding by this 100-yard rule, uh, we could see a lot of behavioral changes that meant that the whales were expending more energy than when they were being left alone. So we'd see them, you know, circle around boats, you know, travel a longer distance to get from point A to point B. Uh, you know, if a boat was in their way, then uh, if they were on their own. And we'd see them zigging and zagging more when boats were present than when they were on their own. Uh, you know, we sometimes observe differences in travel speeds and respiration rates and uh, surface active behavior, which 
in a lot of cases, whales use with each other as threat displays. And all these behavioral changes meant they need, needed to expend more energy when boats were around than uh, when they were on their own. And then uh, we added uh, another researcher named David Lousseau to the research team, and he looked at um, the changes in foraging behavior uh, that we were observing, and he found that whales were much less likely to even try to find food uh, when boats were present than when they weren't. And, and you know, if you think about it, are whales getting enough to eat? Uh, the behavioral changes we were watching that involved avoiding boats um, meant they needed more food than they would otherwise. And the interruption of foraging we observed means they were getting less food uh, than they would otherwise. And that kind of helps contribute to them starving. And when you have, you know, the fish runs crash, so there's not much food there to start with. Uh, these extra energetic burdens uh, have the potential to impact their survival. So um, as a result of these studies, we felt that um, the guidelines needed to be made stricter. So um, the National Marine Fisheries Service uh, expanded the buffer distance that boats are supposed to stay away to 200 yards, and Canadian government matched that this year with the 200-meter um, rule on the Canadian side of the border. Uh, but the commercial whale watch operators feel even that's not strict enough. That what we really need is more of a noise-based guideline where you cap how loud a boat is um, when the whales hear it. And, you know, the two ways a boat can be made quieter or it can be farther away from the whales or it can be going more slowly. So they produced the best management practice for their members that said that, you know, if you're close to whales, you need to go really slow. And as you get farther away, you can speed up. So when they're far away from the whales, you know, going to and from port, they can go fast. But as they start moving in closer to the whales, they need to slow down so that the noise the whale hear from a whale-watching boat never exceeds a maximum level. And uh, that's something that the task force incorporated into its recommendations this year, that they have a go slow zone that extends to about a half mile away from the whales so that um, the boats that are not engaged in whale watching uh, will have the noise they expose the whales to very significantly reduced uh, the same way the whale watchers have already reduced the amount of noise that they're making. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you believe that go slow zone is enough. And so an outright ban on whale watching of these killer whales would be unnecessary at this point. It's interesting to me to hear your story and to know that at one point you were kind of an adversary of whale watching boats, but fast forward now that they've implemented 
your research into how they operate and everything's still okay, the world's still intact, their businesses are still intact, that now you've become kind of an ally of theirs saying that they're doing a lot to mitigate their effects on the whales and that this ban seems to be uh, unnecessary. Yeah, I guess as a scientist, uh, you end up being a messenger where you, you know, try to tell people the way things are and, you know, there's always somebody that wants to shoot the messengers. So, um, you know, I think the whale watch operators would be happiest if they could do whatever they want and, you know, there's no impact on the whales as a result of it. But, you know, the reality is that they're doing business with people who like whales, and if they're doing things that harm whales, uh, they'd be going out of business whether there's a moratorium or not. So as the data have come in and, you know, shown that, you know, what they're doing was not working, uh, they've adjusted their practices to try to make it work. And I think that, you know, this concept of having a noise cap and being able to abide by that is something that will work for the whales. And another approach to reducing noise is to have a quieter vessel design. And that's something that they could work towards moving forward. And, uh, you know, some operators, you know, as they, you know, upgrade their vessels, try to make them quieter, and that'll further benefit the whales. When you told me earlier before the podcast that you were concerned that a ban on whale watching might actually end up with a net loss for the whales, and it may actually end up harming them. What did you mean by that? Well, one of the things we're worried about are boats going fast that don't know where the whales are. You know, so let's say, you know, you've got your boat at Roche Harbor, and uh, you're going to go down the west side of San Juan Island to go fishing, and uh, you don't care whether the whales are there or not. So, you know, you just head out and um, you know, if there are no whales there, it's not a problem. Uh, but if there are whales there, you know, we want you to slow down uh, when you're passing by the whales. And having the whale watch boats there to warn the fishing boat that, you know, they're going to be approaching whales uh, in a couple minutes. So it's, you know, they need to be ready to slow down in a little bit. Uh, can help these sport fishermen avoid making a mistake and impacting the whales. Um, we've also started a pilot program with the whale watch operators where uh, they'll encourage their passengers to participate in salmon recovery actions. So one of the big problems for salmon is that habitat's been degraded, and uh, there are a number of groups that make an effort to restore habitat to try to bring salmon numbers up. And bringing salmon numbers up is going to be good for the whales. So if they can connect their half million passengers to restoration groups, um, either asking them to volunteer with the groups or uh, make donations to the groups, 
and uh, that'll let them play a very significant role uh, in salmon recovery. So if you take the commercial whale watch operators out of the mix, uh, you lose their role in protecting whales from boats that are oblivious to what's going on, and you eliminate the role in uh, trying to enhance prey availability for the whales. And I think even the people who want a moratorium agree that increasing prey availability is something that's essential to the recovery of the species. I know you were also sort of surprised by how this ban was voted on. It kind of came at the last minute without a whole lot of discussion. Can you tell us about what that was like that day you were there? Yeah, well, the process has been going on for about six months. And um, sort of the normal order of things is that there's a task force which is composed of, you know, say, decision makers, like the head of the Department of Ecology and the Puget Sound Partnership and uh, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and so on, uh, who are people who have positions to do important things but don't necessarily have any expertise in whales. And to support them, uh, the task force created working groups, which did involve people who had detailed knowledge about, um, you know, how potential impact or how potential actions would impact the whales. And, you know, there's been a back and forth between these two groups over the last few months. And um, early on, somebody had suggested a moratorium, and, you know, um, partly for the reasons I mentioned before, but um, also because there are a lot of other noise sources besides whale watching boats. So uh, you get sport fishing boats and commercial shipping and, um, you know, people who are just passing through on their way from Seattle to, you know, somewhere in British Columbia. And when these boats are going fast, uh, they're much louder than whale watch boats who are going slow. And the noise received by the whales is actually dominated by these fast boats rather than the whale watching boats. So with all these things in mind, the working group, you know, recommended against uh, doing a moratorium, and we all assumed the idea was dead, and then uh, somebody brought it up as a discussion point in uh, the middle of the discussion about what proper um, whale-watching behavior would be, and, um, you know, there were kind of a few people who liked the idea, and uh, you know, a couple people who didn't, and you know, a lot of people who hadn't thought about it, so didn't have an opinion one way or the other. And uh, you know, with just a few votes in favor, it got added to the task force recommendation list. So I ask everybody this question during the podcast, and I think it's a good place to end because sometimes it just feels so daunting, the efforts to save these whales, only 74 left, running out of food, toxins, noise, it just never ends. And, uh, you know, you're 
very well acquainted with all the struggles they've had. So is there hope for the southern resident killer whales? And if so, what is it? Uh, yeah, I do think there's hope. Uh, one is they're a very resilient species. So, you know, they kind of recover from a lot of the damage to prey availability we've done over the last 150 years. Uh, they recovered from the capture operations. And, um, you know, we're in a period now where prey availability is bouncing up and down and uh, their population is bouncing up and down with it. So I think if we can get prey availability on a consistent upward trend and uh, we eliminate the upward trend and disturbance, um, you know, we should have a population that can recover as toxins uh, work their way out. Um, you know, another sign of hope is, you know, over the last six months, we had um, a room full of people who uh, have an impact on killer whales. And, you know, I think without exception, everyone in the room wanted to do something to help with their recovery. And I think, you know, if they included the scientific community, um, to a large degree in those discussions that, you know, we probably could have gotten people to do um, everything they can uh, to help the whales. And I think there's some things they really can't do um, and, you know, still live life as they know it. And I think that's okay because, you know, with everybody pitching in, the cumulative benefits would be enough. And then uh, kind of the third ray of hope is that there are examples of things going right where, um, you know, restoration projects get funded or uh, things like the Ola dams get taken down. And you see that the environment does recover when things like that are done. And you know, it tends to just be small patches. And you know, these days the small patches being fixed or smaller than the big patches being developed. But, um, you know, I think that we can kind of tip that balance and as more people become skilled in restoration and involved in restoration, you know, we can start changing that ratio of, um, you know, net habitat loss to getting the net habitat increase uh, that's essential to uh, recovery of southern residents. Just to add, so everybody knows, the proposed ban would be for three to five years, and it does still have to be approved by Governor Inslee. David Bain, Chief Scientist with the Orca Conservancy, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome.